Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. The show that is loaded with cheap entertainment and a slight hint of a perverse sense of pleasure. Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe smoking broadcast. And I'm your host, Brian Levine. Oh, it's wonderful weather outside. Uh, But on this week's show in Pipe Parts, I'm going to review Rattray's Black Virginia. And this one was, this was weird. That's all I'm going to say for now. Uh, My guest is uh, expert doctor of pipes fred Hanna, for the seven experts and seven questions we continue that and then we've got music mailbag and rant all that coming up on this week's episode of the pipes magazine radio show and let's get some business out of the way before we get started first of all thank you to all of you um uh, we're not going to call you amateurs anymore. We're going to call you novice pipe smokers. The two to five year range got a huge response, so thank you. Uh, going to kind of rework that so that we get as many of you in as possible. And uh, won't do them all in a row either. Kind of spread them out for a while. So that'll be a lot of fun. Thank you to all of you. Uh, if you haven't responded now, thanks. I got plenty. Uh, got plenty. And uh, last chance for uh, JDRF auction items. Please, if you have anything, reach out to me, brian at pipesmagazine.com, B-R-I-A-N at pipesmagazine.com. I'm uh, gathering stuff up now, and then hopefully uh, in a week or so, we'll get that all off to Steve Fallon. So please let me know. I'd like to send him one box with one list of notes, and then he's perfectly happy that way. Uh, also, iTunes ratings and reviews would really appreciate it. If you haven't yet, go on to iTunes and leave us a, uh, well, I'll beg for five-star reviews, uh, five-star ratings, and then uh, put some nice words down in there. That really does help the show stay up in the uh, iTunes listings, and we really appreciate it, and it costs you nothing to do. All right, so let's get the show rolling. Everybody sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Thank you all for tuning in, and here we go. There's nothing quite like working in my shop or smoking my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. Check them out at corncobpipe.com. And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, and it's blend review time, and... uh, Thankfully, I had a couple of Missouri Meerschaum corn cobs with me for this one. So I inherited a a tin of a a 100 gram tin of Rattray's Black Virginia. And it's, uh, you know, the tall, tall round, um, relatively new production. So, uh, you know, going to be in the in the last six months or so. And I opened it up and this was the I, I don't know how else to say this, but Stick with me through this whole through this whole review. Don't click off when you hear me say uh, this was the most bizarre tin aroma and tin effect that I've ever had. All right, I opened it up and it had something in it, something sour, something whatever. And all I did was went to sniff it, and it made my eyes water. 
All right. That's exactly what happened to me. So I didn't know if maybe this was something, you know, something wrong with it or whatever it was, but it felt, you know, felt like the moisture was good. I'd try to sneak up a smell on it and it would make my eyes water. So something is in there somewhere. And then I decided that I was going to let it sit out for a couple of hours. And based off of what I smelled, I was like, I really don't want to put this in one of my good pipes. So I grabbed one of my Missouri Meerschaum corn cobs that I use for taste testing and I put it in there and I tried to smoke it and it was not a pleasurable event. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Even to the point where I had done this maybe five, six weeks ago and I thought, you know what, I'm not even going to talk about this one on the show because all I can say is it sucked and my eyes watered. Um, now, fast forward, I decided to look at it again uh, over the weekend and I thought, you know what, let me see what it's doing. And it had dried down a little bit. And I decided to let it air out a little bit more. And because I, when I opened it up after it had been, you know, opened and the lid had been leaking a little bit, I didn't get my eyes watering. So I opened it up again and I tried it and went back to the same Missouri Meerschaum corn cob and actually got it to smoke and got it to smoke all the way to the bottom. You know, now I had to tamp and relight a couple times. And I thought, well, this was. This was interesting. And as I smell the tin aroma again, it just reminds me of, it's exactly what it says. It's an unflavored black Cavendish that is a Virginia tobacco that is almost on the edge of a stoved tobacco. So when you stove something, it kicks up the spice in it. And maybe what I was smelling at the beginning was the stoving. So I went back and then... Uh, I, I pulled out a couple of the smaller briars that I thought it would work well in, and sure enough. So here is the uh, here. Let me let me jump over to the description on uh, TobaccoReviews.com, where it calls this. Uh, where is the description? There it is. Uh, a coal black Cavendish without any flavor additions. A mellow tobacco which can be smoked the whole day long. The smoker may detect flavors of licorice, plums, and nuts. I didn't detect any of that. I detected a little bit of sugar. Uh, maybe that's that little bit of licorice, but a little bit of sweetness to it. Other than that, the three bowls that I had in two different briar pipes smoked fine, smoked all the way down to the bottom, were very smoky. Uh, you know, and I don't know what makes a tobacco be smokier than other tobaccos but this one produced a lot of smoke uh it just it was just a, a decent tobacco you know a decent tobacco experience now let me say that the only reason i can think that some that rattrays does this black virginia is for somebody who wants a just a very mild blackened tobacco with a very very little hint of sweetness that is probably artificial uh is not offensive to other people in the room so you know no latakia smell um or is something that they wanted to sell so that you could add to you know add to your other blends maybe you want to add a pinch of black cavendish well here's a good black virginia put in there uh, but again, it's still, to me, it's got that hint of stoving of the Virginias. So I don't know how well it would work as just a, you know, a traditional black Cavendish. 
it does have a it might have a little bit of spiciness to you. But here's a here's a couple of reviews of it on tobaccoreviews.com. And here's a two-star review from Jim Inks. And he said the fermented Virginia Black Cavendish has a mild sweetness, raisin plums, and a hint of tart and tangy citrus and tangy dark fruit, plus a little earth, grass, and a couple slivers of wood. So maybe maybe Jim was out back of the woodshed and was getting earth, grass, and slivers of wood. But uh, then he says the uh, sugary topping is very mild and doesn't sublimate the tobaccos that much. The strength is mild, while the taste just passes that mark. Uh, has a mild nicotine hit, needs some dry time, burns fairly well, cool and clean, and will leave just a little moisture in the bowl and has a mostly consistent flavor until the last quarter where it tends to lose a little topping. It does lack uh, a little depth, requires a few relights, has a routine aftertaste and room note, no bite or harshness, an all-day smoke that won't get in your way as you go about your business. So maybe that is exactly what uh, what they were going for with this. Uh, and then uh, Pipe Stud Steve Fallon wrote on it. He gave it a, he gave it three stars. Jim only gave it two. Uh, Pipe Stud said this will no doubt please the pipe smokers who enjoy light, semi-sweet Virginia flavor. Slow puffing really brings out the flavor. Uh, I have seldom seen a dark stove Virginia that packs less nicotine wallop. So really low nicotine, not a lot of prominent flavors, just a lot of soft undertones. And again, I'd like to figure out why it was so smoky, but it produced a lot of smoke coming out of the bowl. So there you go. Um, my big advice to you, if it smell, if it's uh, if you open the tin and it smells tart, <laughs> just let it dry down a little bit. And that should go away. Uh, a good alternative and maybe something that you might want to smoke when you're around other people. So there you go. Rattray's Black Virginia. All right. In just a moment, we'll be back with Fred Hanna. This is Internet Radio. A Savinelli pipe is a testament to a long legacy, fortified by well-worn hands and destined to be enjoyed for generations. For over 150 years, Savinelli has been dedicated to sourcing the world's finest briar, committed to pushing the boundaries of pipe design, and devoted to the tradition of Italian pipe making. Savinelli is more than a mark. They're a way to help you make your mark. And like you, there can only be one Savinelli. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show for another seven questions for seven experts. And this week in the expert seat is a doctor of psychology, doctor of pipes, author of pipes, although not in print anymore. Fred Hanna. Fred, welcome back to the Pipes Magazine radio show. It's always a pleasure to be with you, Brian, my friend. Well, you always say that until we start talking, and then you complain about something, but uh, that's okay. <laughs> you know that's not true. Uh-huh. Here we go. Are you ready for your questions? Yes, sir. And we are not talking about baking any of your tobaccos in the oven, but if you could only sell her 100 tins, would you prefer to have 100 tins of one blend? 50 tins each of two different blends, 25 tins each of four blends, or 10 tins each of 10 blends? 
I would prefer to have 10 of 10. And why would you do that? Well, I think the, the biggest reason is that uh, I like a lot of variety. And for me, the, um, there are 10 tobaccos that I think that I would never want to be without. And that's uh, pretty much the long and the short of it. If I only had two, um, I would be missing the others. And um, so I would, I'd probably want to have 10. I think maybe even more, but I think 10 is a pretty good uh, um, assessment. So would you have some English and then some Virginia, some Virginia Perique, and then maybe some Captain Black Grape or something else like that? Well, um, if it was Captain Black Grape Concord, <laughs> um, maybe that would do it. Um, I, uh, or, you know, maybe if we had a sophisticated grape like Cabernet or Chardonnay or something like that. No, obviously that's complete bullshit. I, I, uh, <laughs> I would, um, I can name probably dress off the top of my head a lot of what those tobaccos would be. I don't know if you want to hear them or not. Well, what, what percentage would be, uh, English blends? What percentage would be Virginia's? Would you have a vapor in there somewhere? Um, I probably wouldn't have a vapor. It's not to say I don't like them. But they're not at the very top of my list. I like a straight Virginia or an English Balkan kind of uh, a blend. Um, and so it would probably be, I would say, six of the English Balkans and um, four straight Virginias. Is that kind of where you're normally where you normally smoke in you know sixty percent English forty percent Virginia yeah pretty much all right and then question number two is a little more specific but do you have a clue as to what those blends might be in particular that you would put in there and you know maybe well, some that are available now some that aren't or are they all not available now um I want I'm I'm gonna let me run through them, but I, I don't think any of them are, are currently on the market. Um, one of the well, we can start with the English uh, blends. I would um, put it the, near the top of the list. Um, Markovich uh, and um, I would say uh, Balkan Sobrani Seven Five Nine, um, Dunhill Standard Mixture Full which is, uh, um, to me, an exquisite tobacco and, and not very well appreciated um, over time. Uh, I would include Legends and Wilderness, both. Why? Because I blended them to my taste. <laughs> if you don't like those, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I don't like the ones I made for myself. What the hell good am I? Yeah. Uh, well, that's a whole other subject for an episode, but go ahead. Oh, well, make sure you don't talk to my family yeah. about that, okay? Or my friends who used to say things to me like, Fred, you're worthless. And I would say, what are you talking to me like that, Mom? You know? 
just kidding. Just kidding, Brian. Just kidding. <laughs> the, 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 doctor, the doctor of psychology is in. Um. <laughs> Sorry. So yeah. anyway, those would be um, the, uh, the, the English Balkan blends. Um, and, you know, there would be a lot of others that would be very, very close there. Um, and then for the straight Virginias, <clears throat> I would want some. Um, and there's a curious story in here. Um, I would want um, some 1996 uh, uh, McCraney's Red Ribbon, which is just an exquisite straight Virginia. There's another one. uh um, very, very rare and little known tobacco that was made by Barry Levin called Gorgoroth. Um, by the way, that the title of that is taken from uh, Tolkien, Lord of the Rings. Um, it was an area in Mordor. Um, very, very amazing tobacco. Um, a curly, actually. Hmm. And, uh, so that was a very good one. I would also like the 1992 Sophisticate, but not the 96. Uh-oh. And not the other stuff that was made more recently. The 92 is absolutely astonishingly good. Um, and, uh, you know, there are several other uh, Virginia, straight Virginias that I like. But some of them... Uh, but those are, you know, those were will be the ones that come to mind. There's another tobacco, very, very rare, that was made by Barry Levin. Um, and uh, it was mixed by McClelland that, and I don't want to say the name of it because I don't want people looking for it. Please forgive me for being totally selfish here. <laughs> because... Um, if I run into a big stash of it like I did with Markovich, then I can reveal this. But um, uh, this is a this tin contains a combination of Balkan Sobrani White and Balkan Sobrani 759 taken from the cutter top tins and mixed with 12% um, Syrian Latakia and all mixed together and in an astonishing uh, blend, totally unique. And um, I don't want to say the name of it because it's so rare that I hardly have any myself. And you almost never see it. And most people have never even heard of it. And I don't want that to change because if people do know what it is, I'll never get it anymore. Sounds like to me, like I need to do a whole episode or a series of, Stories of Barry Levin. Oh, wouldn't that be interesting? Yeah. Yeah. Might be good. Might be bad. Never know. All right. Well, let's move on to the next question. Otherwise, we'll all fall asleep while the doctor's talking. Um, <laughs> By the way, um, that is the exact same effect I have on my students. Yeah. Uh, what is the oldest tobacco you have smoked and how was your, uh, what was your experience with it? Well, this is a curious story. <clears throat> um, I once procured on eBay, I think it was somewhere around 15 years ago when you could, uh, buy tobacco on eBay. 
This was a capstan blue um, four-ounce tin. Now, it was so old that it said a quarter of a pound. Some of those old tins actually said a quarter of a pound and not four ounces. But this was a capstan medium in a blue ancient tin, and it was so rusty that a lot of the label had literally just fallen off because the metal was so rusted. Wow. And I bought it anyway, and I'm not joking, for $13. <laughs> and I thought, oh, well, you know, I'll get it, and it's probably garbage. But, you know, so it was so rusty on the outside, I thought it would be wasted. But I figured, you know, give it a shot, see what happens. So I get the tobacco, and the, the cutter top was actually missing. So I took a great big knife, and I opened up the tin with this great big knife. The, you know, the, the lid. Yeah. And Brian, I'm telling you, the inside was perfectly clean. Wow. And the smell of this tobacco was heaven. I can't explain it to this day. It smelled like heaven. What it really smelled like, if I'm going to be specific, it smelled like fine French red burgundy, like Le Chambertin or Le Moussigny or La Tache. Or Romane Conti or something. And by the way, I've had all of those wines. I, I don't um, know what any of those are, and I hope you didn't say anything dirty on this show. <laughs> um, I, I honestly don't even know the definitions of three quarters of all the four-letter words. Just <laughs> okay, I have to ask people what they mean. Well, anyway... So it smelled, I mean, it, it smelled heaven. Like, like my favorite old wines are um, red burgundies, right? Mm -hmm. And I couldn't believe my, my nose, actually. And so I smoked it, and it tasted like heaven. And I treasured that tobacco. And it started to go after a few weeks. It started to... Um, you know, deteriorate, yeah. you know, like like a good wine would. A good wine. I remember once I had an 1875 Chateau Mouton Rothschild at a big-time tasting. And believe it or not, uh, in 20 minutes, that wine had gone to, to vinegar. Wow. So they say that, you know, you're supposed to give wine time to breathe. Well, the really old wines, you don't want them to breathe breathe because they'll turn into vinegar right in front of your eyes um so in this particular case i really believe that this wine was so old it actually deteriorated over time and i would share it with you know some friends and they'd flip out and i'd flip out so i went on tear after that <laughs> i was looking for you know the four ounce cutters of um, you know, um, capstan medium in the blue tin. And you know what? I got some in perfect condition, Brian. And for some reason, I don't understand. Um, I, it never tasted like that first tin. Never, never found anything like it. And that may have been the best Virginia I ever smoked in my life. So that first old tin was just a, that was a magical crop and a magical tin for you. It was, and it was totally inexplicable. I, I, uh, 
Uh, it couldn't have been rust because there wasn't that. The inside of that tin was just totally bright and shiny, no rust at all. I, I to this day I don't know um, what made that tobacco so special, wow. but I have noticed that when one of the things that people don't talk about when with really old tins is they don't talk about the variation um, from the same brand and the same year from um, 10 to 10. Sometimes those old tins are very uh, inconsistent in terms of um, how they smoke and how they taste um, from 10 to 10, and there's just no way of predicting by looking at the label. Yeah. Uh, we're going to take a break right here. I'm going to Google search all those French things that Fred said while we're on the break. <laughs> and we'll be back with uh, more with Fred Hanna in just a minute. Have a look in your tobacco cellar. What do you see? Think of what you smoke, what you age, what you're drawn to in a blend that keeps you wanting more. That's your taste. And whether you know it or not, you've been leading that expedition since you first picked up a pipe, just by smoking what you like and liking what you smoke. But the funny thing about taste, it changes, and you need a wide selection to accommodate it. We at Smoking Pipes know this, and you know it too. So whether you're searching for a tried and true favorite or a singular boutique mixture, we're here to help you navigate the voyage of your evolving tastes. But you're still at the helm. Smoking pipes in faithful service of the hobby. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show visiting with uh, Doctor of Pipes, Doctor of Psychology, just one crazy guy, Fred Hanna. Fred, you ready for another question? I did check all those words and I couldn't find them, so whatever. Uh, <laughs> ready for your next question? Yes, sir. How has your preference in pipes changed over time? You know, like bent versus straight, large versus small, smooth. Well, I'm not even going to ask you about smooth versus rusticated. We all know perfect straight grain. Blah, 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 blah. So, how has it changed? Well, um, it's funny you should mention that. I have always liked bent pipes. And the number of straight pipes I have owned are very, very um, few. Very, very few. Um, and for some reason, I don't like pokers either, straight or bent. I don't know why. Um, and I've had some magnificent pokers. I just never picked them up to smoke them. And so I would just, you know, sell them or trade them or something. Yeah. Um, when I was much younger, in my 20s, when I first started collecting high-grade Sheratons around 1974, um, I wanted uh, exclusively Sheratons. So along about the late 80s, I would say, I started to branch out to include just straight grains of any brand as long as it had no fills and as long as it had magnificent grain um, and the pipe was decently made and um, believe it or not Brian I haven't changed since then um, 
just recently I got some mortar pipes from uh, uh, Marco Biazzini in Italy. And, and I'm, uh, as you know, if you've seen my book, I'm a big fan of mortar pipes, or sorry, Moretti pipes. And Moretti makes a pretty decent mortar. I've really uh, been surprised at how much I liked um, the taste of those mortar pipes. And now remember, for me, um, a lot of people will talk, well, you know, that's, that pipe smokes really good. Uh, I would alter that language a little bit to say that pipe tastes really good. Because you can have a very well-made pipe. It doesn't mean that it's going to taste good. Because the briar itself is a whole nother story, and you uh -oh. and I have been through that in earlier. Oh um, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You don't have to go into that again. Yeah, but, but I'd rather I'd rather talk politics or religion than brand versus briar. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, just a minute, that upset me so bad. I have to go get a Valium. I'll be right back. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> um. I was really surprised by how good the mortar was. And um, I actually surprised myself by even wanting to know. Um, and I'm glad I did. I have three of those mortars now, and that's enough for me. I'm not planning on buying any more. Um, so that was a change. But I'm still collecting perfect straight grains from, you know, various makers as long as there's no fills and, and uh, good, good drilling. Are you still kind of, are you still limiting yourself to the amount of pipes that you can own at one time? Um, that's a good question. Right now I own 70 pipes. Um, and that's enough for me. I, I'm not a um, big time smoker, everyday smoker. I smoke maybe three, four bowls a week. Um, and, uh, um, so, but so with the 70, it takes you, uh, it'll, it'll take you a month or two to get through that. Oh yeah. And so I'm not in a big hurry to have a huge collection. I just want to have the best straight grains that I can get because I enjoy looking at them so much. <laughs> All right. We'll move on to the next question. Uh, what is the pipe you own that has the most sentimental value to you and why? You know, that's a tough question. Um, you know, I've been thinking about this one, Brian, and I can't tell you. Um, if I had one, I guess it would be a Reiner Barbie that I have with a, a kind of a swan neck um, uh, shank. Yeah. And um, it's kind of a reverse Canadian shank in that, in a Canadian, it's an oval that um, is sort of flat, but this oval is actually perpendicular. Huh. Um, it's a beautiful pipe with fantastic grain, and I, I like um, Reiner so much. We had so many great conversations that that pipe has a lot of sentimental value. There's another... Pipe two, um, made by Paul Ilstead, who is another pipe maker that I just really felt close to for some reason. And I have five of his pipes, but there's one in particular that he made um, for me without even my asking. But when I saw him in uh, a Chicago show, 
uh, he said, come on, Fred, up in my room, there's a, uh, there's a pipe. And I thought about you when I made it, and I'm keeping it. I'm keeping it. I want you to see it. And it was a truly exquisite straight grain. Um, and so that has a lot of sentimental value to me as well. Um, and I miss Poe Willstead a lot. And, and these, these pipes are special to you, not, not so much because of the actual pipe, but more because of the relationship you had with the person that made them. Yes. Yeah. Yes. As opposed to your lovely wife or some family member got you this pipe and picked it out for you and blah, 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 blah. I have no pipes like that. Yeah. <laughs> you have no family that would want to give you one. Um, or Look, Now, Brian, what have I told you about being insightful on the air? Okay, <laughs> keep your insights to yourself. They're a little threatening to, pe- to sensitive <laughs> people like myself, okay? Actually, I've talked to your wife, and she said, no, Fred's too neurotic about his pipes for me to pick one out for him, so I just give him the money. <laughs> Actually, that's a lot closer to the truth. Yes. Yeah. And and you use her eBay handle. So, um, next question. And, and and I don't know if this is fair to you because you don't smoke that often. But how does the situation affect your pipe and tobacco choice? You know, outdoor versus indoor, morning and evening, or on the go, or you're just parked in a chair somewhere. Uh, there is no. It does not affect me one way or the other in any of those instances, believe it or not. So if you're out for a walk and uh, and you want to bring a pipe with you, you bring that perfect straight grain and walk down the road pretty, with it. Pretty much all I own are perfect straight grains. <laughs> I have I have other pipes that I keep around. Um, um, I do have a pipe with a lot of sentimental value that was, for example, a gift from a fellow pipe collector, but he he knew it wasn't ever going to be a permanent part of my collection because it's a Costello natural virgin, which of course has no grain at all. Um, but, uh, as far as, as far as I'm concerned, um, I, I will take any pipe anywhere to a park or to anywhere. And I don't care if it's a Paul Elstead or yes, Conowitz, or if it's a Sheraton, or a no name. I have uh, a no name, um, believe it or not, with no name stamping on it at 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 all, and it is a fantastic straight grain. And oh, now that I think about it, that was a gift from Regis McCafferty, my good buddy. And um, so I wouldn't I wouldn't part with that one either. Now that I think about it. Is it more fair for us to say with you that when you when you are smoking a pipe, that is the occasion that you're yeah. you're dedicating that time? You've picked out the pipe and the tobacco that you want to smoke, and that and that's what you're doing for that time. Yes, and let me just you know um, wax on that for just a moment. I hear people talking about an all day smoke, right? Yeah, and uh, and this and that. Now, Brian. You know I'm a weird guy. Yeah. I could give a shit about an all-day smoke. I want every goddamn bowl of tobacco to be absolutely spectacular. And that's what I live for. I, that's what I enjoy in a pipe. I don't want an everyday smoke. I want something that is going to literally 
um, dazzle me every time I have a, a pipe and, and a bowl of tobacco. So an everyday smoke, that's for people who have the habit of smoking. I don't want the habit of smoking. I want to be completely present in every moment because every bowl of tobacco to me is a magical moment. On that note, we'll move on to the next question. <laughs> okay. What famous pipe smoker from the past would you like to share a bowl with? And it has to be someone you never met. Well, there was a, um, a, 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 a rather famous philosopher um, who died in 1937. His name was Edmund Husserl, H-U-S-S-E-R-L. And I first started reading and studying Edmund Husserl when I was a boy, age 18. And Husserl started a movement called phenomenology, which is a big, long word for um, basically what amounts to be an effort to see what's really there instead of bullshit that we have been fed from various sources. For example, politic politics or religion or any other kind of bias, and to be able to strip away our presuppositions and conceptions, preconceptions to see what's actually there instead of what we have chosen to believe about something or some kind of assumption that we have made. But to be able, like I said, to see what's there. And this was a very influential movement in 20th century philosophy, um, as I said, Husserl died in 1937. He was a pipe smoker, and I would have loved to just have the opportunity to have a few bowls with that guy. And some of that stuff that you just said just sounded like that French stuff that you said before to me, so I got to figure out what that was. But I <laughs> I got it recorded, so I can go back and forth and listen to it over oh, and over again. Ask me, man. I'll send you links. It's, <laughs> it's yeah. stuff isn't. It's not unobtainable. Yeah, you sent me one link, and it's hurt my head for about three months now. So I'm, <laughs> I'm going slow with your links. Um, and then okay. the, the final is a bonus question of what, what other hobbies do you have? And I think I know what your answer is going to be. Well, I have had a lot of hobbies over the years. Um, I had, um, at one time, the highest degree of uh, brown belt in taekwondo, and the only reason I didn't get a black belt is that my instructor, who was a third-degree black belt um, in, you know, from Korea, he got ordered to come home by his father, who said, we're going to get you married. And that guy was history, never saw him again. Um, I, I used to uh, study gemstones. When I traveled, I would buy and sell rubies and sapphires. I'd buy them on site in places like... Uh, Sri Lanka and Burma and Thailand, and then I would sell them to jewelers in America, make a pretty fair profit to pay for my travels. Um, I had uh, a hobby when I was real young as a bird watcher. When I was a kid, I used to lead, uh, because I recognized bird songs and was pretty good at identifying birds, I had a lot of mentors that took me under their wing. I would lead bird hikes for uh, Audubon societies and uh, that sort of thing. And uh, <laughs> wait yeah, a second, I, wait, 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 wait! You had a mentor that took you under your under his wing in bird watching. 
Yeah, that's kind of a yeah. matching metaphor, isn't it? Yeah, okay, go ahead. Uh, yeah, very observant of you, as usual. Yeah. Brian. I just want to um, prove that I'm I, I just want to prove to you that I'm actually listening, but go ahead. <laughs> so, um in addition to that, I had uh a good no- number of other um hobbies wine we've already talked about that was mm-hmm. a a very big hobby. If I hadn't gotten into academe, I'd probably be working in the wine business um or pops possibly in the tobacco business. Um but there were there were many, many such hobbies that I had over the years. Um, astronomy was another. Um, and uh, sometimes these things would get me in trouble. Um, <laughs> I used to study cosmology, for example, and the priests uh, generally hated me for it when I went to the all-boys Catholic high school. Um, they saw me as trouble, which was correctly assessed, yeah. I would say. Yeah. And... Uh, so, you know, that about covers the, the, but currently I'm happy to say that my job is my hobby as well, because I love to study, um, the, uh, you know, counseling and psychotherapy, which is my, um, my passion and, and has been for a long time. I'm also very interested in such things as mindfulness that have been studied that for decades before you could even talk about it, actually. So I, I would say all of these things, I don't know if they're hobbies, but they're, I would call them passions. I think you have to be passionate about something in order for it to be a hobby. It's hard to be alive if you're not passionate about something, Brian. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, and it's hard to be me, so I might not be alive. <laughs> well, I know it's so hard to be you. I've never tried. Yeah. Fred Hanna, thank you very much for coming back on. Thanks for doing this again. Thank you so much, Brian. Always a pleasure to talk to you. And, and I wish you I wish you the best, my friend. We'll be back in just a minute. Being at the forefront of craft tobacco production for over 20 years, we've been involved in some rather interesting projects at Cornell and Deal. From the Cellar Series to the Small Batch Project, we're extremely proud of how far we've come. So moving forward, we wanted to take it back to basics, and that's what the Burley Flake series is all about. Burley is an underrated varietal, but there is a ton of nuance there. Using various condimental tobaccos to accentuate different aspects of the air-cured leaf, each blend in this series is intended to showcase different individual subtleties inherent to Burley. It's a simple concept, one that I think really speaks to the essence of what we do at C&D as a crew of folks who just love tobacco. It's also really good. Cornell and Deal's Burley Flakes series, wherever fine tobaccos are sold. This is Internet Radio. And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show. I hope you are enjoying the uh, the, the, the different answers and different takes on the, uh, on the seven different questions. And uh, don't forget... Uh, uh, Fred's book, The Perfect Smoke, is available on Kindle, I believe, so you can download it. Um, Also, while you're downloading stuff, you can also uh, sign up for the NASPC's Pipe Collector because they'll send you one by email, and then you get pictures in color of pipes and stuff instead of the printed one that I get where colors are in uh, black and white. All right, uh, for music... Sorry to those of you, but we're doing Harry Connick Jr. again. Why? Because he dropped an album this week. 
Uh, this one's called, the album is called Alone With My Faith, and this is him during lockdown recording an album, playing all the instruments himself, recording it himself, mixing it himself, producing it himself. And uh, this one's called Old Time Religion.
first, uh, I want to thank you all for allowing me to embrace my uh, bromance with Harry Connick Jr., which he doesn't know we're having, but we've had it for, I don't know, 15 years, 20 years. So anyway, uh, the new album is called Alone With My Faith. It's all uh, classic gospel and uh, faith-based songs, and uh, you can find it on Spotify. And remember, mailbag comments or questions, you can email them directly to me, Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at PipesMagazine.com. Or you can uh, post them on the Pipes Magazine radio show page, uh, just like a few folks do every week. But first, let me get caught up with some old uh, mail, because I suck sometimes. And uh, Anyway, so uh, Patrick sent me this uh, letter, including a couple of matchbooks from Disneyland, and one of them is a much better example than the one that I had, but uh, he writes, Brian, hopefully these add some weight to your collection and perhaps fill a missing piece. My parents were matchbook collectors in the early 80s and have passed along their bags full of findings to me. Among the hundreds were a handful of these in both styles. I picked a couple of lookers for you. Uh, Because you ask, as you always do, my current favorite pipe is a 1997 Nording Hunter Series Canadian Goose. And my favorite tobacco is Tabacmanil's La Petite Robin. Uh, though my wife much prefers I load up with Sutliff Creme Brulee. Uh, either goes fine with an old-fashioned, provided it is made with 100-proof bourbon. <laughs> uh, then he says, congratulations on your son. Uh, congratulations to your son on his wedding. My son is just over the threshold of five years old and has recently discovered the early 90s era of Disney animation. <laughs> your friend out there in smoke, Patrick. Thank you very much. Uh, And then uh, Richard Gray wrote uh, a couple weeks back. uh, Hello, Brian. Your seven question series is most interesting and successfully presents some of our iconic and colorful pipe smoking colleagues in an informative and personal perspective. The Tobacco Reviews remake is an unmitigated disaster. Such self-inflicted destruction is unfortunately becoming more prevalent as persons with technical skills inflict their myopic talents upon subjects of which they have little or no comprehension. Uh, And then he asks, uh, what was your experience like in Vegas aside from the occupancy and dining issues? Were people wearing masks outside and or inside? Were there any other group meetings being held? Um, So uh, indoors, most people were doing the mask thing correctly. The occasional nose was sticking out and looking like a sore thumb (laughs) or something else. And uh, outside, no, there wasn't a lot of mask wearing out walking around. But uh, I did hear also that there is a couple conventions coming up in Las Vegas. So that's good news for the West Coast Pipe Show and for the Convention Bureau. Uh, Going back to last week's show with uh, Sykes, uh, if you want to, go into the forums, go into the Pipes Magazine radio show. And uh, Kevin does a forum post every week announcing what the show is going to be. And uh, Chasing Embers has done some uh, great, uh, I, I guess I want to call it Photoshop work with Sykes and uh, one of the, as one of the Avengers. So check that out. We may have a uh, pipe-smoking Avenger. And then our usual and always wonderful Dino writes, Sykes always comes across as a very well-grounded one of the guys. For someone who is so deeply involved in the pipe and tobacco industry, he seems pleasantly unjaded in his conversations with you. I found myself often nodding in agreement with his answers to the questions. I also enjoyed the fun song from the Newsboys and other entertaining episode. Thanks, Dino. 
Oh, good. I'm glad Dino liked it. And then Dillagas says, great show as always. Loving the seven question series. Sykes always seems genuine and approachable. Our hobby is in great hands if one of the leading internet retailers is run by a guy who is so one of us. <laughs> so one of us. One question, though. My old ears couldn't catch which, toba which tobacco Sykes named as his first choice to seller. If this is not something to publicize for business or trade reasons, I understand, but I find it so interesting to know. And, and sorry, Brian, I have to ask you to cut the bird a little slack. We have all been there just trying to be a good parent, but smoking a bowl while he is building a nest seems, uh, seems fair and sociable. And to answer your questions, uh, Sykes did say Cornell and Deal's Sunday Picnic. And, uh, and regarding the little bird, we have decided to cut her some slack and let her live there because it looks like she is nesting in there. And, and uh, I, did, I did try to come to an agreement that they not use the, uh, that they not use the front porch as the bathroom. So, uh, you know, hopefully they go off to use the bathroom somewhere else. But uh, birds are pretty good about not pooping where they sleep. All right, and uh, Casey Ghost says, I guess pipe experts come in all veins, including commercial. I didn't find this a particularly informative episode, as were uh, as the first three were. While Sykes had some nice stories to tell, they weren't really about pipes, but instead were focused on meeting people. Uh, we did learn some things about Laudisi and smoking pipes, but not much on what uh, Sykes actually knew about pipe smoking. And I suspect the reason for that is that Sykes doesn't really know a lot about pipe smoking, but man he really does run a good business uh their customer service is top notch i would have enjoyed the show much more if it had been a regular episode rather than one that touted let's hear from the experts uh two either two rather weak shows in a row i'd rather listen to animals fight as to listen to the newsboys uh you talk about bland they make elevator music sound exciting well sorry dan we didn't do it for you a couple weeks in a row hopefully you like this one with fred better all right, again, comments, questions, email me, brian at pipesmagazine.com, JDRF Auctions, last call for those. And uh, thank you to all the folks that uh, sent in for the uh, novice pipe smokers. So I got plenty of you, so don't send in any more, please. Thank you. And in just a moment, a uh, copycat rant time. This is Phil Morgan, General Manager of Missouri Meerschaum Corncob Pipes in Washington, Missouri. Our mission since 1869 has been to produce great smoking pipes that anyone can afford. We guarantee our pipes won't be your most expensive, but they just might be the ones you smoke the most. At Missouri Meerschaum Company, we don't just sell our corncob pipes. We grow them, make them, and smoke them. Missouri Meerschaum, Washington, Missouri, since 1869. Copycats are all around us. Yes, they are. Copycats are all around us. Or imitation is the highest form of flattery. Or uh, flat out knocking off and ripping off and doing replicas or fakes has been 
I don't know, going on for um, I don't know, hundreds of years, thousands of years. Anyway, there's a uh, post on uh, Pipes Magazine that caught my attention, and it's a line of pipes called Aaron Gobra, which uh, sounds Italian, or sounds, uh, I'm sorry, not Italian, but sounds Irish, except the pipes are made in Italy, and the shapes look familiar. Uh, they might be Italian-made style shapes, but they're made in Italy. And they're put out by a very large uh, internet retailer that, uh, you know, that does stuff like this on a regular basis where, you know, somebody's successful, they go and copy the designs and they might even do it on the cigar side. So this has been going on for years. And if you want some exact examples of imitation being the highest form of flattery or flat out knocking off stuff or doing trademark infringements, well, the most recent that I know of that was fairly big was a uh, Chinese group that was knocking off uh, artisan pipes and coming out with their own versions of Tom Eltang pipes and had Tom's name on them and had a couple others. And you could tell that they were bad versions of these, but they literally used the names and everything. And they did that six, eight, ten years ago now. Uh, you can go back even further. And uh, Peterson and the system pipe, well, Wellington came out with the... Uh, or the WDC pipe that looked very much like a Peterson and had a little system well in it. And that goes back to uh, the 1950s. Or you can go back even further if you want to where when uh, Sassini got sued by Dunhill for using a single white spot on the top of their stem. And thus the Sassini one dot got moved to the side of the stem. And then, and then Dunhill said that's not enough. So now you have... Sassini four dots. So it just keeps going on and on and on and on and on. And the way we stop this is by, with, you know, we, we uh, stop this with our money. That's exactly how we do it. We say, all right, enough. I'm not buying that. I'll buy the original. Thank you very much. All right. Uh, hope you enjoyed the show. Thank you very much to Fred, the expert, Hannah, for joining me. Thank you all for tuning in. And until next time. clouds when we're together just sing a song and think about sunny weather It's very important you don't stink today. Hey, I make no guarantees.